it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 42. Andrew and I are going to do something fun tonight. We're going to answer some reader questions. We've gotten some emails in the last week or so that had some interesting questions. Andrew and I thought we would chat a little bit about those. So without any further ado, Andrew, I'm going to turn it over to you, big guy, and let you start us off. Yeah, let's catch up on some of these, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, first one, first one, Alan, he says, hey, Andrew. In the last episode, episode 39, the question was asked, when you buy stocks over time and then you sell, which gets sold first, the ones you bought or the latest ones? Alan says, you and Dave said it didn't matter from a profit standpoint is correct, but for calculating capital gains tax, it can mean the difference between long-term and short-term capital gains. So if I buy 10 shares of stock XYZ a year and a half ago, assuming long-term capital gains kicks in after one year, and I buy another 10 shares three months ago, and today I sell 10 shares. Will I pay short-term or long-term capital gains on the sale? So, Alan, you're absolutely right. It does matter as far as capital gains taxes go. I mean, like we mentioned in the episode, there's that cutoff time of, of 12 months. And so if you've held the stock for less than 12 months, it's a short-term capital gains. Longer than that's long-term. So... In essence, if, if you were to sell the shares that you didn't hold for as long, then yes, that would actually affect how much you net in at the end of the day because you'd be getting short-term instead of long-term capital gains. The way I look at it, Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but either the broker's going to kind of do that for you, and then if they don't, because it, it's it's a thing, right, where the, the broker's going to give you a form all your tax implications based on on your buys and sells and then you will either take that to an accountant or if you're doing like a turbo taxing whatever that may be but at least with my accountant i'm usually telling him like my dollar amounts as far as how much capital had and then saying if it's a long-term or short-term capital gains i don't know if 
if that's the case, I'm assuming if you're doing like a TurboTax, that's a value you would enter in manually. So you know, be aware of it yourself and then enter correct. So, you know, if you're buying 20 shares, 10 of them would be long-term, 10 are short-term, and you're selling just the long-term capital gains. Be aware that to the IRS that. And then if there's any discrepancies, if you get audited by the IRS, the the trade history is all going to be there with your broker. So if anything, anybody wants to challenge what you've inputted, it's it's just a case of looking back and, and it's it's a simple math thing and you're just looking looking at the difference of the dates and, and looking at the activity. I don't really see it being an issue, but it is good that Alan brought up because there is that difference, and we didn't really clarify that in episode 39. Again, I'm not a tax professional. This isn't any sort of professional advice, but from my under, from my own understanding, the capital gains things are, are things that you are self-reporting to the IRS, and in the case of an audit, you should have the proper documentation from your broker that they send in the mail anyways. Yeah, exactly. I know in the past when I've you know done my taxes with, and I've done mine through TurboTax, it does ask you that question, you know, if you have any capital gains and whether they're long or short and you report them. Because I remember on my, you know, then Trade King forum, it just showed me the dollar amount. It didn't specify whether any of them are long-term or short-term. So, you know, it didn't break it down from that point. And I guess probably they're not really responsible for that. I guess you are as the, as the taxpayer. And so I do remember having to put that on there and it is, you know, you know, it is important to be aware of those changes because that does affect, you know, your bottom line, because, you know, when you pay Uncle Sam the money you owe him, you know, that's, you know, coming out of the profit that you would have made from selling that company. So it is important. So I appreciate Alan taking the time to write to us and tell us, you know, about that so that we could correct everybody for their benefit. That's very, very timely too, right? Considering everything that's going on with the GOP tax stuff, which, I mean, I'm not, obviously an expert or anything like that. I think it's important to kind of follow along with what's going on. They are changing or they're at least proposing to change the way that they calculate cost basis. So everything we just talked about right now applies to that as well. Um, From my own understanding, it's not going to affect if you're just doing like a simple buy and then a simple sell, it should be the same kind of capital gains implications there's speculation or it might even be true. I don't know. I didn't read the bill or anything, but the actual tax rates will probably change as far as the percentages wise and, and based on your income and everything like that. And, uh, you know, but, but from the viewpoint of just doing a simple, I bought 10 shares and then in two years I sold 10 shares. As long as you're not buying shares of, multiple different prices that basis thing will whatever change they're they're talking about with the whole cost basis thing i don't think that's gonna affect you necessarily Good to at least be somewhat aware right and i'm sure it's, it's something that won't go into effect for several years down the line but i don't know i think i think it's worth as an investor like you said it's going to be your own responsibility so if you pay uncle sam more than you should have that's kind of your fault so right we, we don't have to be tax professionals but let's just get some of these basics down and I, th- I think that covers it really well. Yep, I agree. I agree. So the next question that we had is from Jeff. 
And Jeff had several questions. So he said, hi, Andrew. I want to thank you so much for providing this easy start to share investing. Uh, no one I've ever asked about shares has explained it so simply with the ratios and the limits on these. Keep the emotions out of the decision making. I'm 49 and just got started. So have some good ground to make up. Uh, I'm currently using my self-managed super fund in Australia to fund my first shares. We have a lot of people listen to us from out of the country. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I've had a few questions to put to you. I uh, hope you can help out. Uh, number one, is there any way between the yearly and half yearly company reports to get update up to date figures, particularly the balance sheet values to track debt? Yeah, no. I mean, like there are different websites, and, and you can get the data. I I don't like the idea of, of getting da- like up to date data like that. For example, you could have the PE ratio on you know, updates pretty much every day when with the the, the changes of the price. When I'm researching a company, I like to look at the very source of it. So that's why we recommend scc.gov. For other stocks in other countries, it might be a different website. I just know because I'm in the States, uh, the United States requires that these companies file these consolidated reports that are audited, and that's and a, a big process, and, and they're all regulated the SEC. So it there. Uh, I've used other websites, websites len.com, and I've seen discrepancies there because you know these are these are websites. They're all pulling from some data source. So if you can get from the data source, then any mix-ups uh, as the data gets transferred, you won't have to to have those kind of errors unless you make them yourself. So the question is, yes, um, uh, there's plenty of websites where you can get up-to-date figures, but personally, I like to only go to the source because of, of what I said about the whole data integrity thing. And also, I don't like looking quarter to quarter and doing anything less than a year because, you know, they make the 10K, this annual report, and it's it's something that you're supposed to, that are supposed to post every year. It, it's hard to evaluate companies over a quarterly basis because every industry is different. Uh, take retail, for example. They're going to have their Q4 to be at a much higher profitability than, than most every other industry if, if they're taking advantage of holiday shoppers and everything like, like that. So yeah, that's going to be different by some industries at lower parts of the economy. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Yeah, Download so, Andrew's I mean, free basically, at stockmarketpdf.com. You know, and the sectors are you all going to perform in a different way. The only way to have an even measuring stick, so to say, is to look at by the year and just look at yearly results. So that's why I don't like looking at anything like if, if there's a new earnings release or, or a new, you know, a, a couple quarters of, of new data that are fresher or more updated than the annual report. Nine months in, and, and if they haven't f- filed a new annual report yet, I'll still be looking at that older data because I like to look from a bigger standpoint, longer term standpoint. Let's look at the big picture. Let's not get caught up in the minutia. And so that's what I do. Um, and that's why I kind of recommend just sticking with the whole annual report, the 10K thing, and not trying to get up to the minute, up to the day kind of kind of data and not really worrying about that. So I know that it's not really the answer you wanted, Jeff, but that's kind of my take on it. And I'm sure a couple of Google searches could really get you maybe what you're looking for, but I think 
anything, whatever your country's equivalent to sec.gov and advfn would be, would, would probably be the way to go. And I wouldn't worry about getting those updated by the day or the minute. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Jeff, an idea that I like to use is the trailing 12 months uh, TTM. You'll see that on different reports. And what that does is it takes an average of every quarter from the last quarter. So let's say you're in the third quarter before the end of the year and you want to look at something. Then what you do is you just take each quarter from your quarterly data and you just add those all together and you get an average for four quarters. And that kind of helps you give a closer idea instead of having to wait until you get the annual 10K report. So I understand why you're wanting to do that. And looking at it quarter by quarter can drive you a little bit nuts. But if you do it annually, you will help save your sanity. Also with doing the trailing 12 months, it gives you kind of a good snapshot. If you're about, like I said, halfway or three quarters through the year, it can help you give you a little bit of better 
insight into where the company is at that particular moment. So I hope that helps. Yeah, that was really excellently put. Much more elegant than I did. And much more concise, <laughs> as per usual. Okay, the second part of his question. I've read that it is foolish not to protect your assets and that share prices can quickly fall to zero. Dollar, dollar sign. How do you do this? Some people use put options and other insurance methods. So, Dave, how would you protect your assets knowing that share prices can fall quickly to zero? Simple answer. Trailing stops. Yep. Trailing stops and obviously the VTI, which is his next question. Basically, I'm sure most of the listeners know all about the VTI by now. If you don't, it's just based on company data and financials and looking at what has made companies fail in the past and then using that information and, and avoiding companies that have those characteristics. So his third question is, does your VTI work with any share market? I'm assuming it uses standard slash common metrics. I'm using the ASX 200 at present, which by the way, that's for Australia. I would like to buy your VTI package soon. Can you recommend any good overseas markets after I finish with ASX? So yes, uh, the way the VTI works, like I said, it's based off of audited reports from the SEC. So the SEC requires three reports here in the United States. It is the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. So if you're looking at stocks, doesn't matter what country it is, if they have income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statement, then you can use a VTI with it. To be more specific, if you have revenue, net earnings, total assets, total liabilities, uh, shareholders' equity, and net cash, cash at end of year, then you can use it. So it's it's really doesn't go like super in depth into the financial reports. It just uses kind of the the main pieces. The risks that are involved if you're investing outside of the United States. And it's going to depend on on what country you are doing it from. And I think it's something we should bring up. But you know, the SEC is very strict, and one of the good things about that regulation is that it reduces fraud and reduces the kinds of things where companies are lying about what's really going on with their business. Some of the other less regulated countries and stock exchanges. I'm thinking particularly things like what we saw. I don't know the exact date if it was the early or late 2000s but you had like these reverse splits or something or reverse something that with the chinese markets where there's just rampant amount of, of fraud and, and all these just really nasty kind of things so there are some risks i don't know much about the indexes outside of the united states but i'm assuming the big ones are obviously going to be more credible. He asks, you know, what else to look at besides the ASX? We have a lot of Canadian listeners, and that's actually what the next group of questions are going to be about. There seems to be a lot of resources and financial data on those stocks. The other one I can think of would be United Kingdom, um, and obviously Australia, like he said. So, you know, and don't count out the the... U.S. market, obviously, there was a data point, and this was 
when I saw it, it was a long time ago. It was like an infographic kind of thing, but something like 70% of market capitalization was in stocks in the United States. So, you know, even though there's all these differences with the currency and the, and the Forex and people are talking about how the dollar, the U.S. dollar is slowly being abandoned as the world reserve currency, there's still a very, very large amount of total stock market in the United States. Um, there's Japan too, which which would be something to look at, but U.S. is huge and um, people... It's kind of popular here in the United States to have people kind of bash the United States just because I think it it draws a lot of attention, especially if you're a a listener from here. But I mean, don't count it. Don't count us out. Warren Buffett's kind of one of those, another one of those guys who really pounds the drum about the U.S. And I'm pretty sure he's like almost 100% United States. And so I'm kind of the same way. And I think the whole fall of Rome thing has been talked about for a long time. And I don't want to say that kind of thing won't happen, but um, there's been a lot of stock market gains in the past and it could continue for a very long time. And so there's obviously a lot of value here. And I, I like where Jeff's mind's at here. He's considering about a lot of things outside of his, his own, like what, what his own kind of circle of competence could be. So I think that's really cool, but, understand there's a lot of things to learn about that what's nice about something like the value chart indicator is it is not only is it applicable to any kind of stock for the most part as long as it's as long as we can look at the data it also is very timeless so the metrics that it's looking at are things that aren't going to change you know you, you could have a metric like a a a company's website visitors and and what's the the monetary value um per visit on their web page but something like profit that's never going to change no matter you know even a thousand years from now i'm sure that the idea of having profit and having cash isn't going to change so it, it it's important to kind of align your values with things that are timeless like that and kind of work from there so I hope that answers those questions. If you have anything to add to that, Dave. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we aren't international experts. And I think we've talked before about how you know, there's a lot of tax implications with that in particular. But one thing that I would like to add to what Andrew was saying was the tax implications are one of the big reasons why I have not ventured outside of the United States. There are, you know, large tax implications for us investing outside of the country because of the conversion rate and, and different things in that nature. One thing that uh, I know we were talking to Brad last week from England and he was able to find a broker that allows you to buy United States stocks without having to pay the taxes. Now, I'm not exactly sure of the ins and outs and how all that works, but I would imagine 
in this day and age, if you dig around a little bit, you might be able to find something similar that would be offered in your country of Australia. And that might be a really, really good place for you to start looking into another option for finding stocks outside of your country. And, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong by any stretch of the imagination investing in your own country, but if you're looking for other options, that might be something that you might want to investigate and see if there is something there for you to be able to do that. There are definitely ways that you can get around this and there are other options for you outside of Australia for sure. I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed in, in that answer if I was Jeff. Like, I mean, it can kind of sound daunting because there's a lot to take in and, and a lot of different things to research, but he's going to have plenty of stocks to choose from in the in the ASX. I mean, it's not like it's some small rinky-dink company, uh, country. <laughs> you get lost for days down there. Okay, let's keep the theme of international, uh, move on to the last question. So, hi, Andrew, I am investigating buying your e-letter, just a few questions. I'm Canadian, will I have access to the same stocks you do? So, I have a couple Canadian uh, e-letter subscribers, and they've given me some feedback. Depends on your broker. Um, that's really a, a crappy answer, but... So I've heard um, there's been like, I think it was like an employer provided broker or just one of like a broker I just never really heard of. And that broker wasn't allowing the e-letter subscriber to buy some of the stocks that I was recommending. Uh, I've talked plenty of times before about how I really like small cap US stocks that are value stocks. A lot of those are like so small too small to be for whatever reason the broker is not allowing people to buy that i don't know if that's an international problem or if it's just because they're just literally only offering stocks at a market cap of x and above but that's something to keep in mind that there could be that limitation of my broker is not going to let me buy these stocks because i'm international so that it's just something to consider. She also asked, how, where do I buy stocks? So you'd go to your broker. And so, you know, I was answering these questions for her and I did some research about the different Canadian brokers. I had also gotten feedback from the same e-leather subscriber saying how you couldn't drip on, on his Canadian broker. So I did some poking around. I found a broker called Quest Trade. So if you're Canadian... There's a broker called Questrade. It's very, very similar to TradeKeen, now called Ally. So here in the States, we have Ally, and that's $4.95 trades. It's by far the, the cheapest trades other than Robinhood, which we discussed in the past. But what's nice is you can drip. What's nice is they have great customer service, and it, it's just a, like the complete package without having to pay a higher transaction fee cost. From my understanding, from what I saw with my research, Quest Trade is the same thing. They do have like an account, an annual account fee if you have under $5,000. So once you cross over that $5,000 amount, you don't have to pay every uh, every year and you're still getting those $4.95 trades. And they do drip. So drip, again, dividend reinvestment plan, automatically getting those dividends and, and being able to purchase more shares with your dividends. So that's huge. I mean check that out and 
I did ask her, you know, if, if she's having any issues, I, I'll give her a refund if, if she's not able to buy any of the stocks in the e-leather. So just, I think something for everybody to be aware of is your broker is kind of important. You know, if they're not offering drip, you're losing out on a whole half side of the, the compounding equation. And it, we're not, Dave and I never recommend buying a stock that's like a hundred million dollars in market cap, for example, one that's so small that it could be swallowed up. And we did talk about that last week, but you know, there should be a reasonable amount of smaller cap stocks that you should be able to buy. So maybe even before you put money into a broker, it's worth looking into to see if, if the wider range of stocks you're looking for is something that's available to you. And that's a big reason why I prefer the IRAs over the 401ks. And obviously most employers offer 401ks and definitely utilize that match. But one of the downsides of that is they often limit the funds that you can pick. And a lot of times you can't buy individual stocks in the 401k. So one reason why the IRA is really cool and and it's something to max out if you can and, and to take advantage of maybe in parallel with like a, a match from a 401k. All kind of technical, kind of boring questions, but these these are very important to, to consider and, and to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row when it comes to buying and investing and, and holding for the long term because these small things make a big difference in the decades, the potential decades to follow. So do that. And, you know, if you have money in a broker and your broker is not doing certain things, just close in and go to a new one. Maybe what an hour of your time to set you up for much better results down the line. It's, it's definitely worth it. The last couple of questions here from Daniela. She says, I've been listening to your podcasts. Are these the ones you buy and hold for a long time? Or do you make frequent changes? I've kind of covered that in the past. Basically the e-letter is, is the stocks that I'm buying. And I split those into the regular and the dividend fortress and so there's a little bit of differences here and there, but all the stocks I'm buying are, are from these e-letter recommendations. And the last question, do these stocks pay dividends? Will dividends automatically be reinvested? So yes, all the e-letter positions pay dividends. And I'm kind of one of the guys who's, I guess, out there or, or kind of standing on my own hill in a way to say that. I believe that all stocks you buy should pay a dividend. I think an investment is an investment because it provides you an income and cash. And I think while you can make more money with stocks that don't pay dividends, I think a lot of dividend stocks do also make the kind of gains that you see out there. And I believe that you can get higher results with dividend stocks that grow their dividend and and compound that over time. If if you search dividends on my blog at investingforbeginners.com, you can go to the the successful dividend characteristics article I did and that one showed a bunch of stocks that compounded at seventeen percent or higher a year. Uh they saw their share price and the dividends grow and, and it just made for some really fantastic returns. I think some of the higher ones even earned twenty to twenty five percent a year talking about like a 25 year time period that these stocks compounded wealth and they were all dividend stocks. So 
it's definitely possible. It's definitely kind of a different viewpoint to what a lot of different investors say, but I'm kind of strong on that dividend thing. And that's why all the stocks I buy are dividend stocks. And, and those are the ones I recommend. So I know this episode was kind of all over the place and we, we, we kind of had our different questions here and there, but I think these will kind of hopefully fill in some of the gaps and on some things and, and some important details that everybody should really keep in mind. This is obviously a huge thing, right? It's it's your money, so you got to take care of it and, and take care of it tightly. And there's a lot of different moving pieces there. Even though there's a lot of different details and intricacies like this, I don't think it's something to be discouraged about. I think it's something that you just kind of pick these things up and try to retain them as, as the days go on. And you don't have to get it all right at the beginning and you can invest your money and not have it compound in the most maximal way as possible. But if you're picking up little bits of information as you go along, getting better as you go along and getting tips like this and asking questions and therefore preventing certain aspects of, of losing out on, on money here and there, then you kind of accelerate that learning process and kind of get to mastery sooner. So I think, um, yeah, I like episodes like this. This is a this is a cool little Q and A, and hopefully it was helpful for everybody out there. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. I hope you enjoyed our little back and forth with the Q and A. We had some very interesting questions that Andrew had received, and we thought we should take a moment to answer them for them. As Andrew likes to say, if there's one person asking a question, you know, there's ten people out there thinking the same thing. So we're all here to help you, and we hope you found some value in what we were talking about today. And without any further ado, go out there and find some great intrinsic value. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time... Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best-seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER.